Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now, here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We are very excited to be in our third season and um, more excited than ever to continue to help you explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here are issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung and heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we talk to an expert about the electric vehicle transition, or we like to call it the electric vehicle revolution. And this is a part of our series on energy. And we want to look at this electric vehicle transition or revolution as it is at the intersection of the clean energy imperative. Now, we Texans are still talking about last year's epic fail of the Texas grid, even though we are hopefully about to come out of the other end of this year's winter. But we're, last year's failure is still on our mind. What we don't often remember, though, is how several weeks or maybe a month or so after that came GM's pledge to make only electric vehicles by 2035. And just these two incidents alone last year highlights, to some degree, the daunting task that the U.S. faces as we seriously begin to move toward weaning our economy off of the harmful fossil fuels. Now, while GM's announcement is certainly striking from a historical point of view, uh, that is the nation's largest automaker choosing to jettison the internal combustion engine altogether. And then, of course, the collapse of the Texas grid, again, underscores just how far we have to go as we attempt to and have the imperative to electrify everything. So now, despite these challenges, we in the U.S. find ourselves, though, at a kind of a promising turning point with new uh, economic, social, and political forces driving a key aspect of the decarbonization or the minimization or the elimination of fossil fuels from our economy. And that is the electrification of cars and eventually trucks as well. Now, the U.S. lags behind China as well as the European Union in the transition to electric vehicles or EVs. But some say, perhaps because of the private sector and the federal and state government's commitments to electric vehicles that has already begun with the Biden administration and the U.S. automakers, that within, indeed, two decades, a majority of new automobiles sold here in the U.S. will be electric. Now, we're seeing more and more signs, though, of this reality or the possibility of the reality, with signs like the California governor recently underscored the importance of electric vehicles when he announced that California would require all new cars and passenger trucks sold in that state to be zero emissions by 2035, again, moving us towards that goal. Now, electric vehicles do have the potential to reshape the transportation sector in the U.S. drastically. 
by drastically cutting carbon emissions and then clearing the way for significant climate progress. Transportation is indeed the highest emitting sector in our country, producing almost 30% of all the carbon emissions in 2018. And so it's, it's probably grown substantially in these last few years since then. Electric cars could transform the high emissions sector altogether. A study that was not too long ago released by the Union of Concerned Scientists shows that in the U.S., electric cars generate half or less than half of emissions of comparable gasoline-powered cars, all the way from the point of manufacturing to the point that they are driven and disposed of. Now, electric vehicles also have a great potential to draw down carbon emissions if they're widely adopted, and that's just a a reality that all of the studies are pointing to. However, electric vehicle costs are falling significantly, as are the battery prices. Indeed, battery prices decreased about 87% in the last decade because that used to be an almost prohibitive factor. And, of course, the electric vehicle sales are increasing at a very, very rapid rate. Now, someone recently wrote, like the move from horse-drawn carriages to contraptions powered by internal combustion engines, then the migration from cars powered by fossil fuels to electric vehicles will have a profound effect on personal transport. Now, COVID-19 caused about a 20% drop in global light vehicle sales in 2020 to about 70 million. But, of course, that's picking up again already. And then led by China, the proportion of vehicles powered by batteries is looking to grow even more quickly. But still, the events of the past year or so do show that the fossil fuel-dependent system is beginning to finally give way. The key now is for us to nurture that transformation and to be more and more intentional about it. The announcement uh, early last year by General Motors was a milestone for sure in electric vehicle development. Uh, But then Ford, which has had an electrification program for longer than GM, is offering electric versions of their iconic brands, such as the Mustang, as well as that Ford 150 truck, which is the largest selling truck around. Even uh, introducing the 150 truck that can power the whole house, and that's been a tremendous success. And Volkswagen is looking to invest about $30 billion uh, in e-mobility by next year. And then Volkswagen also vows that by 2028, they're going to offer 70 new fully electric Volkswagen models. That's a lot. And their whole electric sales is projected to be about $22 million from that entire Volkswagen group. And we've got startups that are increasingly active with e-truck innovator Rivian signing a big deal with Amazon to purchase uh, a lot of their delivery vans. And I think that's still in that negotiating stage, even though we thought it was a done deal. Now, this shift will change the way people travel, and electric power will cause a fundamental rethink of a car's internal architecture. And I imagine that is growing and being revised and getting better and better every day. And there's an array of new electronic systems that bring connectivity and they produce data, making possible many new business opportunities, making possible better mobility services and more. 
in addition to the substantial impact on climate change. Now, this is a lot, and there's a lot going on because it, it is a transition and a revolution. And here to help us out and try to understand and unpack some of this today is Lori Clark. Lori is with the North Central Texas Council of Governments, and they are the stewards for this very large and growing North Texas region as it relates to transportation, mobility, and air quality. And they do a lot, and they do um, a good job. Now, Lori manages the clean fleet and the energy improvements and the DFW Clean Cities Program for the Transportation Department of the North Central Texas Council of Government. And that is a very big organization, and we're going to have Lori tell us all about it, but it's where all of the government in this whole North Texas region, they get together and they act regionally as one because major issues and for sure environmental issues and issues like transportation, clean air, uh, our ozone issues, all of that does not stop at a city's border or county's borders. Uh, I was talking to people from the water industry yesterday, and as we all joked around, Lori, um, you know, our region uh, shortly will have grown and merged and glommed onto the Oklahoma, because we're right there already. And, and truly, I would say probably in about 10 or 20 years, that's, they're going to include, what do they call it, the metropolitan statistical area. I think they have another name for it. But it respects that when the all of these urban areas begin to merge together that you can only grow wisely and smartly uh, when you act and work together to look at and deal with the problems. So again, thank you for all of that you all do. And before we get started, will you just tell us a little bit more about the COG and some of the players in it? Absolutely. Happy to. Thank you, Bernice, and, and thank you for having me today. Uh, yes, yeah, so the North Central Texas Council of Governments, which we saddled ourselves, sadly, with a very long name. Uh, we do incorporate 16 counties, but it also includes about 140 individual municipalities that are within those 16 counties and school districts and special districts. So it is it is um, hurting the cats, you might say. Um, but as you rightly point out, a lot of the big issues that we have to deal with as a very fast-growing region, a lot of population growth, a lot of economic development, constrained natural resources, we can only resolve all of that and try to achieve balance if we work in collaboration. And certainly transportation is one of those things that does not stop at the border. You know, things as simple as a, as a truck route. You know, one city might have a roadway sign to be a truck route, and when it gets to the edge of that city limit, that road keeps going across the city limit into the next road, but somehow, or into the next city, somehow the truck route has moved over. You know, little things like that that need, to be, it that need to be aligned. And right. I'm going to stop you right now at the beginning. You, talk, you mentioned transportation, and when we come mm -hmm. back on the other side of the break, you can finish telling us and reminding some of us about those things that we share regionally that we have to deal with regionally. We'll be right Absolutely. back on the other side of the break with Lori Clark with the North Central Texas Council of Governments. Thank you, Lori. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods, markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. 
Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, looking at the whole body, specializing in periodontics. Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lynndentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. And we're back with Lori Clark from the North Central Texas Council of Governments. And she is helping us understand the electric vehicle transition or revolution, as I like to say, at the intersection of the clean energy imperative. And again, thank you for being with us. Now, right before the break, you were telling us about why we need a COG and and why that's it's imperative. And you mentioned, of course, that, that you were talking about transportation, which is the area you, you work in. And of course, that doesn't stop at the area boundaries. Absolutely. So we actually do all of our air quality work within the transportation department at the North Central Texas COG, and that's because we have an ozone air pollution problem. So, um, you know, Bernice, in, in your opening, you talked about some of the impacts on, on climate and greenhouse gases and, and how that relates to the transportation system. But locally, uh, when we talk about public health impacts of uh, polluted air, we have an ozone air pollution problem. Uh, every once in a while, there might be an issue with particulate matter and that environment. Environmental Protection Agency is actually looking to make a, a more stringent or a stricter, lower particulate matter uh, air quality standard as well. And a lot of our ozone issues are also linked to the transportation system. So part of our transportation planning actually includes air quality planning and, of course, air does not care what the city or county boundary is. It's going to blow where it blows. Uh, we have air blowing into our region that comes from other major urban parts of the country. Our air blows out of our region to our neighbors, uh, north and west and east. So it's it's all interconnected, and, and that's part of our role is to work not only within our region, but also with our neighboring regions, with the Houston metro area, um, Austin, San Antonio, and then uh, we have partners, of course, in other states as well. The same thing with water. The, the re- yes. All the natural resources, and again, the yes. regions keep getting uh, bigger. And, you know, every month here on Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, we have a different theme, and we do connect our we, – we deal with transportation in that air pollution theme month. <laughs> We're dealing with the, the EV revolution, though, this under our energy theme. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not lost on a lot of people that transportation is the biggest air pollutant. And as we mentioned too earlier in the, in the intro, that fossil fuel, the electric vehicle transition – is imperative and it is important and it's rather exciting to me and I think others in this field that I've interviewed from time to time that we seem to be on a roll right now. It, Absolutely. It's, 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 it's a time in the sunshine. For it's electric. exhausting but in a good way. In a good way. Exactly. So Lori I want to start with you though if you can kind of briefly explain to uh, our listeners how an EV basically works as compared to perhaps a regular fossil fuel powered vehicle. Yes. 
So, you know, in a, in a conventional gasoline vehicle that most of us are used to driving, you've got, you have an engine, and in that engine you've got, it's an internal combustion engine. So there's a combustion chamber, there's fuel that comes from the gas tank that gets injected into that engine, there's a spark, there's combustion or fire, and, and that produces the power. Oh, you I want to just say, too, you said that combustion produces the power, but it mm-hmm. also produces what else? <laughs> also, exhaust emissions and air pollution that air comes pollution. out of the tailpipe, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so in an electric vehicle, if it's all electric, you replace that engine with a, with a traction motor, and the motor is powered by a battery pack. So you think of the motor in lieu of the engine and a battery pack instead of a gas tank, and it's the battery pack that powers the motor, which then powers the drivetrain of the vehicle, and then there are no emissions that come out of the tailpipe. There's no air pollution generated by the vehicle itself. Then a couple other key components, you still have an auxiliary battery for a lot of the accessories. Those are the basics. And so a big difference between an electric vehicle and a conventional vehicle is there's hundreds and hundreds of other small moving parts that are in a conventional vehicle that are gone in an electric vehicle. Uh, So those are fewer parts to break, fewer elements that need maintenance fewer things that may uh, have to be replaced over time. I mean, at this point, it's a computer on wheels, you know, and and just like we we charge up our phones every day, you charge up your car every day and uh, keep kind of topping off that battery. And the performance of an electric vehicle, if if nobody's had a chance to to ride in one or, or to drive one yet, they handle exceptionally well. They have a very low center of gravity. The weight of that battery keeps that center of gravity low. So that, that creates a fun driving experience if you're able to take it on into, yeah. into a safe place, like a track or something like that, where you really get to, to put the pedal to the metal, as they say, and really take it to its performance limits. They have excellent torque. They accelerate really quickly. And uh, turning radius is great. And they're just, they're really good performing machines. And I think that's a misperception that a lot of people have that when electric vehicles, the first electric vehicles were electrified neighborhood electric vehicles, right? It was kind of like a glorified golf cart. And I think that's the impression that some people still have is that they're low powered, they're low speed. That is not at all the case. The technology has advanced immensely. So if if nobody's had a chance to go and see things like the Mustang Mach-E or the F-150 that Bernice mentioned, uh, you might be very surprised. I would say at this point, people may begin to be seeing them on the roads and maybe not necessarily realize that they are EVs. Absolutely. They blend in very well now. And so I've actually caught myself looking at the backs of the cars in front of me to see if there's an exhaust pipe. And I'm like, oh, there's not. Oh, that must be electric. You know, what? It, what is that? Because they're coming now, not just in sedans, there's SUVs, there's the pickup trucks are coming and uh, just a, a wide variety of makes and models. It's, And I think that's what's helping adoption as well. Not everybody has a lifestyle that's well-suited to just a regular four-door sedan. Some people need something that's a little bit bigger. You've got your kids, you've got your pets, you've got cargo that you carry around with you on a regular basis. So you need something that's got more capacity and, and more space. So there's there's a lot of SUVs now. Anybody who watched the Super Bowl this year hopefully noticed how many commercials were for electric vehicles. Uh, last year's Super Bowl, it was one of the big headlines that came out of it was that GM invested the dollars for an electric vehicle commercial of their own. This year, everybody joined them. And I think the statistic that I saw was out of nine different car commercials, seven of them were for electric vehicles mm-hmm. of some type. Yeah, I did. It, I did. It was not lost on me. And I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> We're turning it, it that almost, corner. 
So what are the different kinds of EVs? I know, you know, you've got the, the cars and, and some of the popular cars. What are the different kinds of EVs are there out there? So there's a, there's a growing variety of SUVs and, and hatchbacks, and, and then the F-150 and GM has also introduced an all-electric version of the Silverado that oh. will be out in, uh, I believe, 2024. And, of course, Tesla has the Cybertruck. And there are also electric vehicles that are coming in bigger and bigger platforms, so people should keep their eyes open for transit buses. Uh, there's a big push in the transit industry to go electric. Delivery trucks. Amazon is, has been one of the biggest buyers of, you know, pre-ordering some of the vehicles from Rivian and, and some of the others. We actually are Amazon, host- are there any of those trucks, delivery trucks on, on the streets now? Absolutely. Yes. Keep your eyes open. You know, usually they'll, oh, sorry, they'll yeah, try to advertise it a little bit. Exactly. I would think they would advertise it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then the big trucks, you know, kind of the, the 18 wheelers, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, those are coming. We have an, uh, our agency is actually hosting an event um, April 25th in Grand Prairie, and we'll have a couple of those trucks, all electric versions on site for, for people to kind of kick the tires and they're real and they're here. And it's just a matter of building out infrastructure is, is really the next big step because uh, the R&D on the vehicle side is, I'm not, I'm not going to say that we're finished because there's certainly uh, additional R&D that will continue to make the vehicles more powerful and battery just technology. Like on regular, and, just exactly. like on regular fossil fuel exactly. cars, it's always being built more, always bigger, innovating. better, fast. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I and I have to think that with EVs, it may even though I don't know how it can, but it may have to. It may even end up innovating faster than we are accustomed to with the traditional fossil fuel cars. I think so. I think so. You know, think about just the tech industry in general and how the changes that we've seen, even since the pandemic started, how much have we all changed in our day-to-day life and our day-to-day work because of the ability to do video calls and Zoom and Teams and and all of those things that have advanced so quickly um, and really accelerated out of necessity. And so as we transition to electrifying the transportation system and now taking the transportation system, which evolved on its own, matured on its own, roadways and bridges and things like that. We have an electricity grid that evolved on its own, transmission lines and power lines. And now we have to take the two and smush them together. And that's a, it's a huge task in terms of planning and future investment and building out additional transmission lines and infrastructure. But, you know, we're up to the task. We can do this. We've built all kinds of systems in the United States over the years, and it's just a matter of working together. And so selfishly, I'll come back to being a regional agency. And, and that's our role is to bring everybody to yeah. the table. And there's agencies like ourselves all over the to nation, all over the world. Into, to help us move into the inevitable. However, we have to go to break. (laughs) And right on the other side, we'll be back and Lori will talk to us about maybe the ripple effect in other industries and related industries. Sure. And even with us of this transition. We'll be right back on the other side of the break with Lori Clark with the North Central Texas Council of Government as she makes us smarter uh, about the inevitable transition to electric vehicles in our society and in our region. Thank you, Lori. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. And we are back with Lori Clark with the North Central Texas Council of Governments, and she is helping us peel back uh, and get a better understanding of what's ahead with the inevitable transition 
to electric vehicles. It's happening, the ball's rolling, and it won't go back into the cage. And we very much appreciate you being with us and taking the time to help us out on this, Lori. Thank you. Thank you. And so right before the break, you were telling us... Ripple effects. I'm going to talk about ripple effects a little bit. So as we transition to electrified transportation, just a a few things, and certainly this isn't the universe of everything, but just Mm -hmm. want to throw out a few things for people to keep in mind, you know, as we have all grown to expect when it's time to, when we're driving and and want to take a step back and, and just think about how important transportation is to our quality of life. It is how things come to us. It is how we go to see things and people and places that, that we want to get to. And and so having a, a transportation system that supports a high quality of life and a, and a good quality of life is, is something that I think is critically important to everybody. Nobody wants to be stepping, stuck in traffic. Nobody wants to be stuck behind the vehicle with a stinky tailpipe that's blowing exhaust right into your vents and then bringing it into your car. And so thinking about an experience where you don't encounter fumes, you know, when when you're going to different places and maybe you're next to a a loading dock and you don't smell the diesel and and you you aren't experienced and exposed to that, Um, thinking about schools and and children waiting to get on their school buses and all all of those interactions that we have where everybody has probably experienced at some point that kind of very acute, very noticeable exposure that you have. You know, thinking ahead a, a decade or so when we have mass electrification at scale, thinking about all of those things being gone. So that'll be kind of a nice ripple effect that will have impacts in medical care and health outcomes and, and things like that as we have reduced exposure. And that's a good, yeah, the good ripple effect and mostly on health, which is like a whole mm-hmm. nother issue. But let me ask you this. Like I was interviewing for our publication, I was interviewing Sempac mm-hmm. and he was mentioning that I guess economically, maybe good, certainly good, but very different. What are the auto repair shops going to look like? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be computer repair shops? We get these stickers every every year. What's what's that going to look like? What's mechanic training going to look like or is it going to be? Is it going to be a computer technician? And, Absolutely. And I'm sure there's so much more that my mind cannot even get close to grasping yet about ripple, ripple effects. Uh, going back to what we said about from the, you know, when we went from the, the buggy and the horse to the combustion. And so when we go from fossil fuel combustion to electric, when that really happens in a large scale, yet it's going to change a lot of things in our society. Absolutely. We're going to need a, a lot of workforce development, a lot of retraining, a lot of um, new curricula around things that have to do with electricity you know, high voltage energy systems in vehicles, high voltage systems in the charging stations where the vehicles go in and plug in and maintenance for charging stations. And so a lot of this has to do with electrical work and and electricians and computer programming and software analysis and data analysis. And those are skills and those are, are trades that are a little bit different than what they've been in the past for people who wanted to work in the automotive space. And we know that some of our stakeholders have said that there's a shortage. You know, we all know there's a shortage of truck drivers, but there is a looming shortage of automotive technicians that are going to have the qualifications necessary to work on this next generation of vehicles. And so one of the things that I know is is important to the Biden administration and it's part of the infrastructure law is uh, workforce training and workforce mm-hmm. development 
being part and parcel of a lot of the other projects that get funded, whether that's transit funding or rolling out the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Formula Funding, NEVI is the name of that program, which mm-hmm. is where all 50 states are going to get an allocation uh, to build that, that nationwide EV charging network. All of those stations at some point are probably going to need some maintenance on them. And we don't have the workforce right now, so that's going to be certainly a big, Indeed. A big impact. So it's almost like there needs to be two tracks running mm-hmm. as as all of these manufacturers all begin to plant a flag in the ground toward a certain date that they're going to be Mm -hmm. all electric or nearly electric, there needs to be a parallel route that is building the infrastructure, which is more than just the charging stations. (laughs) You know, looking at the workforce, lest we hit bottlenecks like we're now beginning to see are conceivable. Yes. Most of us in our lifetime have not seen the kinds of bottlenecks that we're seeing now as a result of the pandemic and never would have thought about them. Right. You know, now that they're happening and you think about them, they make sense. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. So we need to be dealing with this inevitable one on on this other side as well. Uh, I wonder, it makes me think, who's out there already planning how to transition the gas station that are some of these gas stations with all of their real estate in this country? (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I would love to see how many acres if you took them and put them all together. Uh, so I, if I could, I would, let me give a shout out there to, there's an organization called the Electric Vehicle Council okay. under the Fuels Institute, which is under the National Association of Convenience Stores. So everybody think about that for a moment, that the National Association of Convenience Stores, their research group, the Fuels Institute, set up an electric vehicle council a few years ago. We, as the North Central Texas COG, we're we're an advisory, non-voting member, Mm -hmm. and they do research uh, really focused on on understanding what electric vehicle transition means for that industry. And so you are starting to see traditional convenience store chains lean in to electrification and that's where you'll start seeing more and more charging stations. And I think that's going to be a big factor in making uh, this technology and and making the electrification transition seem mainstream to a lot of people. When you see charging stations show up at your favorite convenience store and those of us who are in Texas, yeah, yeah, there's a couple chains that are going to float to the top of everybody's mind. Keep your eyes open over the next year or two. Oh, amazing. I love that. That's a really good business decision. Mm-hmm. Because if they're doing it before the, uh, what is it, the Valeros and the Shells and all of those, then that really does position them ahead of the pack and allows them to position themselves as progressive. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And exactly. They can, and they can be progressive in terms of some other things, uh, some other imperatives <laughs> that our climate change is driving us to. So good for them. And thank you for, for, for giving us that bit of information. That's very hopeful as, as well. The other thing I wanted to, to ask you too, Lori, many times and over the last few years, there have been other industrial sectors that have always been ready to give excuses or why not for electric vehicles. The typical one I've always heard is you'll run out of charge and there's no place to charge it and you'll be stranded in the middle of nowhere. So I want to talk about the drawbacks and then tell us about the reality of those drawbacks. Sure. So the ability to get from where you are now to where you want to be next and not run out of a charge and have a place to to fill up is, is certainly top of list for a lot of people. And when the first all-electric 
vehicle, first modern all-electric vehicles came out. When the Nissan Leaf came out in 2011, it was introduced with only around 100 miles of range, and publicly available charging stations were very few and far between. So certainly there were there were some restrictions and there was a mindset that an electric vehicle probably only works for you if you live in a, in a major urban area. But now we have thousands of charging stations nationwide that are publicly accessible. And most of the electric vehicles that are introduced are around 200 miles of range on a single charge. And so, you know, what people really need to think about is what do you really do in your day-to-day life? How many miles do you drive? My round trip commute to and from my office is 32 miles. And I would be able to do that in an electric vehicle very, very easily for if I if I bought something that was all electric. Almost every all electric vehicle comes with with plenty of range to be able to do that. For people who have a daily route that takes them much further, you could look at a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle where you have a gasoline engine that's there kind of as backup. And if you cannot find a place to charge or your your routine is such that you are driving 200 miles every single day, then that's a technology that could be a good fit for you and it gets you on that path to electrification. And I will say that that a big piece of the infrastructure bill that passed in November is that National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Formula Program. And that's going to spend $5 billion over the next five years to build out electric vehicle charging, mostly along our highways. So it'll make sure that you're able to get from one urban area to the next urban area. That's really where we have the limitation right now. Uh, getting from the Dallas-Fort Worth area down to Houston and an electric vehicle can be a little tricky depending on your range. That that is true. Still true. There's a couple strategic gaps along the interstate that that we need to fill in another charging station or two. It's very hard to get through East Texas right now, Um, but those charging stations are coming. That's going to be a big part of what gets built over the next few years. And we just have one minute to go with Lori with us. You you will have to be back with us because we haven't even tipped the iceberg. We haven't. (laughs) Uh, If I could, if time is limited, if I could just throw out for everybody who needs to learn Everybody should start to look to see where are charging stations near you. So there is an app that you can get for a smartphone. One is called PlugShare, um, and it's mostly crowdsourced. The other is from the Department of Energy. It's called the Alternative Fuels Data Center. Both of those have mobile apps. Start looking to see what's around you. Thank you so much, Lori. Again, we'll have to have you back. We have been with Lori Clark who's with the North Central Texas Council of Governments, and she works in their transportation department with electric vehicles. Thank you so much, Lori. We really appreciate your help with this. We're going to be right back on the other side with more on electric vehicles. We want to give a shout-out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakening, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas Communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at NHG.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach looking at the whole body, non-mercury. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at LynnDentalCare.com. 
Thank you, sponsor. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. To our show on this month's energy themes, and we're going to be focusing on, or we have been focusing on, electric vehicles, the EV transition, or as I like to call it, revolution. And we want to thank again Lori Clark with the North Central Texas Council of Governments, who has really helped us understand and peel back some of the layers on electric vehicles, what they do, what they don't do, how they benefit us, and the impact on our everyday lives. And now we want to move to um, this last segment of our show, and we have a very, very special guest who I like to call who is an on-the-ground guest. And today we have with us Rock Robinson. And Rock is with eCara. Uh, he is currently the co-founder and CEO of eCara which is an ESG, which stands for Environment, Social Responsibility, and Governance, an ESG mobility platform for sustainable transportation. They build apps and infrastructure for operators to help them reduce carbon emissions, to better utilize assets, and to build their own customer-centric brand. Uh, basically, eCar is the new green standard for ride-sharing, and they, it's just a very exciting concept, and we are so uh, excited and grateful that we could have Rock here with us today. And Ikara has been built for the impact-minded, because it makes an impact. They use Teslas and vision-aligned drivers to create the safest, most sustainable way to get people to wherever they, they need to go. Plus, Ikara plants a tree every time you ride. On the average, uh, they save their members over 200 pounds of carbon per month and their customer experience scores a AAA+. Plus. So they're very confident in the experience that they give their customers. As market leaders in this niche of ride-sharing, Ikara uh, licenses their platform to other fleets all over the world, demonstrating how they can do exactly what they're doing here in the North Texas area to reduce emissions. So again, their, their tagline, and I agree with it, is that Ikara is the new Green standard. Welcome, Rock. We are so glad that you could make room in your very, very busy schedule to be with us. And did I get all of that right in the introduction? Well, thank you so much for that. And uh, those words are awesome. And, you know, you did. You did. That was, that's pretty much exactly uh, what we are. I'm thankful to be here today and to speak with you about it. Thank you. Great. So, Rock, could you tell us, start off, though, by telling us a little bit more about Ikara? And what made you found and, and start it? Because, again, it is a market leader, uh, but to my knowledge, and I don't have complete knowledge, almost, but not complete, mm -hmm. <laughs> you are the only ones doing, or certainly one of the very, very few, doing this kind of thing with rideshare with these environmental conscious vehicles. So tell us about it and what made you found and start it. You know, I was always a, a car guy. I got into transportation as a young person. I was uh, I was in transportation logistics at, at about 20 years old, got into 18-wheelers, and really understood moving things and, you know, making money per mile and, you know, transportation as, as a whole. Got into the car business, and as I got older, I uh, actually turned into a nerd. <laughs> I got, just got really interested in technology, and I went to work for Apple. 
And when I went to work for Apple, it was there where I knew that I wanted to somehow start some type of an app that connected with people via the cell phone. You know, it was that that experience. And so uh, through my time at Apple, I really got so interested in electric cars. And of course, Tesla was one of those first to market, you know, manufacturers that were you know, producing cars at scale. And, uh, you know, one, it was like the only company that I would leave Apple for was Tesla. Uh, I ended up leaving uh, Apple and uh, my business partner at the time was had just put to work for Uber for a little bit. And he came to me and he said, hey, man, what, what if we just could, this was around 2014 where, mm-hmm. you know, all of the, you know, Uber was having lots of issues with just safety and uh, consistency and things like that. And so we thought, man, what if we could just do some type of ride share where we could actually control the environment the way taxis used to be and the way accountability used to be? And I said, Mm -hmm. man, it's a good idea. But I had one problem. Fundamentally, I did not want to be in any business that had anything to do with gas or oil or parts or any of that stuff, right? I, I did that. So I wasn't interested in that. And I said, if, if we want to do something electric where we would put together something around electric vehicles and sustainable vehicles, then I think I would be really interested in that. And I feel like that's something that uh, nobody's doing or the list is very short. I feel like it's a major challenge. It's something I could dedicate the rest of my life to. So let's do it. And that's how you know, Ecar started. It was something that I knew that if I put the rest of my life that it would be a benefit to those that, you know, that I would never meet. And that was uh, kind of the thing that, you know, was one of the deciding factors. It is exciting. Now, how does eCara as a rideshare compare with other popular rideshares that people may know? Yeah, so ultimately, you know, what eCara is, is an all-electric taxi company that's managed and ran the way we want to manage and run things, right? It's an opportunity for, we started this company with no software. And so we were like, hey, we were putting together all of these different you know, softwares together to create an environment where we could use electric cars to move people. And after a while, we go, well, why don't we just build our own platform, build our own software, mm-hmm. right? So that's what we did. And so in a short period of time, we built our own app so that we could do our own rides and we can get our own customers and we didn't have to worry about the Ubers and the Lyfts of the world. So basically, we created an Uber hack. We don't okay. need Uber. We use our own app. We use our own cars. We use our own drivers. And we go get our own business. That's what this was about. We're saying you need to use electric cars to move all things, pizza, packages, people, doesn't really matter, right? right? That's the first thing. And then the second thing is we're saying you don't need an Uber and a Lyft app in order to go out and get business. You can create your own app, Mr. Operator in Chicago mm-hmm. that's got a mm-hmm. friend who's got Teslas and, you know, the ex-military guys, and they want to go start a business together. Great. Here's an application. You got a brand. Go build it. That's what we do. We help okay. other operators scale the way we are. It's a platform built built for poor people, if you will, right? So imagine a world where you didn't have to go hire designers and app developers to build your own app to go do your own commerce with moving things. And, and that, I think, is, is certainly the impact and the significance of what you guys are, are doing here also, Rock, is that you are sharing it, and it, it allows it to, like I said, scale and multiply so that Hopefully, the EV revolution can move faster now. But stepping back for a moment, let's say I want an e-car. Tell me, walk me through that. I, I need to get to DFW Airport. 
All right. It's just like any other app. You would go to the App Store, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Google or the uh, Apple App Store and download the Acara mm-hmm. app, create an account, book your reservation. We're reservation-based, not on demand. So most mm-hmm. of our customers that go in, they'll create a reservation. And uh, once they create a reservation, we just make sure they get picked up and dropped off wherever they need to be. And that works because a lot of the old school air transportation is gone. It's been a few years back. I remember I went to go look for a super shuttle. And I went to go look for them months, probably about four years ago. I was like, they're not here anymore. So tell me, though, Rock, how is your traction, has been your experience since inception? How are you competing with the traditional guys? And what makes people choose you or know about you? That's a good question. So uh, our, our traction from the very beginning has been so dynamic that we actually won't purposely slow down. We actually started, our, we got our app in the App Store January 1 of 2019. In 90 days, we had over 500 users and we had our first Fortune 500 company doing all of their airport transfers uh, back and forth to the airport from Richardson, Texas to DFW. That was in 90 days. Oh my. No, nobody, nobody knew who we were. The first meeting I had with a company, they said yes. So the thing is, because we're in the bottom baseline of this transition, nobody's going to say no. You just got to be able to sustain the business. Right. Nobody says us no. The easiest meeting I've ever had was with the largest company in this country, Amazon. I walked in before I sat down. They said, "We can. When can we start?" <laughs> and at that point, it's, it's you know, as a, as an entrepreneur, I'm like, "Whoa, let me slow down here. Let me figure out how to." I'm going to deliver. Gonna, well, not not only how we're going to deliver, yeah. how we're going to help everyone else get into this place. That's what the bigger thing was. It, it was all. It was always about how do we help other people get to this place because there is there no one company can do it all. I love that, and we have one minute to go. That it hey, fifteen minutes goes fast, but you guys are so to be commended because I think this really helps move forward uh, the transition to electric vehicles and that whole EV revolution. Because one of the things, and I'm sure you talked about it and had some speeches about it and whatever, and that is it's also a way for people who might not otherwise experience riding and utilization of electric vehicles. Absolutely, absolutely. And we, we find that 95% of the people that actually ride with us or just experienced electric cars for the very first time have never ridden or experienced an electric car, never. Now, out of the 95%, 97% of those people say, all things considering, their next buy would be an electric. Cool. And it's just, all that means is it's an awareness problem. Exactly. That's all. So our goal, ICARA, ICARA actually stands for Electric Car Ride Awareness. That's what ICARA stands for. And our goal is to reduce emissions and help accelerate the utilization of electric cars. And so for us, our vision is always to like, how do we get more people aware to use the vehicles, not just, not, not even buy them and park them in a the garage, but buy them and utilize them as much as possible because it's always the benefit. Rock, thank you so much. We've been in this segment with Rock Robinson, uh, founder and CEO of Ecara, an electric vehicle ride share and technology company. And they are really doing some substantive work in helping our EV revolution move forward. And before then, we were with Lori Clark with the North Central Texas Council of Government. Thank you. And thank you for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here. 
But our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line, so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is a result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day like yourself. And each of those tiny acts can seem insignificant, but all of them add up one way or the other to the change we each live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you. And join us again next week for more Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. And you can listen to any of our past podcasts wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you. Thank you.